as we continue worship, we do so through the hearing of the gospel reading for this morning from Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. As you're able, I invite you to stand for the hearing of the gospel. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you be seated? <clears throat> will you join me in prayer? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for this day and for this time of discipleship. And Lord, as we enter into this time, we ask you to open our hearts, our minds, and our ears so that we may be attentive to your word speaking to us. Turn out the distraction of our day and our lives so that we may focus entirely upon you and your word. Lord, may I become less so that you may be more in this moment. And may the words of my mouth and meditation my heart be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Just about every time we hear a sermon from Luke 18, 1 through 8, we always hear it from the perspective of the widow. We hear it from the perspective of her and her needs and we hear the preacher or someone coming and saying, how, you know, look at the widow and how persistent she was in seeking justice for her claim. And we'll talk about how we must be that persistent in our prayer life to never give up in our prayers, to always pray daily. We'll talk about the need to just keep praying no matter if we don't hear anything. We'll make it that kind of relevant passage, we'll talk about it, we'll sing prayers, we'll say, keep praying, then we'll come at the end, we'll sing, sing, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then we'll say the benediction, and we'll go home without ever being truly affected or changed by the passage. Because in that type of passage, and that type of sermon, it's what's called the give you the fluff without giving you the hard stuff. Because we never really ask ourselves the truth of that passage. Could we be like that judge? We focus on the widow. We focus on the, the idea of persistent prayer because we don't really want to deal with the difficult or the hard and the challenging aspect of this or really any passage. We'd rather deal with the fluff. 
the niceties, and make, make, way, make us feel better about ourselves so that when we go home, we get a sermon that's full of sound and fury but signifying nothing. Because that's kind of what we would prefer. Sermons that are full of sound and fury but signifying nothing. And never change our hearts, never step on our toes or make us think about where God is leading us as a church. But what if we took a different approach today? What if we took an approach that doesn't look at the widow, but looks at the judge? Take a look at the passage from his perspective and ask yourselves, when can we be like that judge? Or perhaps when have we been like that judge? What changes in the sermon? What changes in our approach to this passage? What makes us not have a sermon full of fluff, but one that makes us think when we go home to say, what did we actually hear? And what is God calling us to hear about? What if we focus more on the judge than the widow? You see, this passage comes to us. It's the only time we get this story of the judge and the widow in all of Scripture. No one else has this parable. It's unique only to Luke. And Jesus gives it to us in this form of a parable as perhaps common to how he talks so often. Often when Jesus wants to step on our toes and makes us think about what it really means to live as children of God, he gives it to us in a parable. Soften the blow, so to speak. But he also gives it to us with a little bit of allegory that helps us to think through some things, but one that gives us multiple ways to approach a passage. There may be one way to get to heaven, but there's multiple ways that you can look at just about any scripture passages. But it gives us to us this story of this judge and this widow, this judge that we don't know much about. We don't know where he's from. We don't know what kind of a judge he was. A judge might have been the synagogue leader who had been in charge of disputes, in charge of making sure that all the disputes were heard and adjudicated and making sure that everyone did things right. Could have been a Gentile judge. And there could be some evidence that we're dealing with a Gentile judge by some of the language we'll talk about in a moment. But we're not looking at necessarily a judge like what we know of, of someone where you go to the court and you go and you have a prosecution or a defense. This might be just the community leader that we're dealing with. But then we have this widow. And widows are a very interesting aspect of Scripture. They, are, they fall into a class of the widows, the poor, the stranger, the alien, that we are called to give special attention to in the life of the church because they often fall upon the marginalized and the forgotten, especially in the time of Jesus. Widows especially were dependent upon others for their care. If you were a widow, you didn't necessarily get your husband's inheritance when he died. You were, in tr you were trusting that your children would take care of you because you didn't necessarily get your husband's home. You didn't necessarily get the family home that went to the eldest son. So you were trusting on your kids 
to provide for you, to take you in and make sure that you had food, that clothing, and money to pay for your provisions. If you didn't have children, then you were trusting on society to care for you. It would then be the responsibility of the synagogue, of the community, the large, larger society to say, we will take care of you because we believe that widows should not be forgotten. And so it was the society's responsibility if there was no children involved to take this widow in and care for her so that she would not be forgotten. No matter what is going on in this passage, whether this widow has been forgotten by her children or whether society has not lived up to its promises to care for her, this widow has gone to this judge demanding for justice. Demanding for justice in her case and justice upon her cause. She wants things to be made right. When we think of justice, we often think of different types of justice, whether it's retributive justice, where we just say we just want to get even with someone, that's not really scriptural. The type of justice that is often scriptural is the one of embracive justice, the justice of embrace, the justice of connection, the justice of reconciliation. The type of justice where two people come together and the type of justice of righteousness where things are made right with one another. The kind of justice where you are giving what you are needed in order to survive. Justice isn't always in the biblical sense, in the sense of God, of making sure that everyone has the same amount of food on the plate, or making sure that everyone has the same type of home, or making sure that everyone has the same amount of money in the bank account. Justice is about making sure that everyone has exactly what they need in order to thrive in God, to live in God's love, and to be part of society. Justice is about making things right so that people can live in God's love and thrive with one another. This widow has come seeking justice has come to be made right. And this judge could care less. They could care less. He's got other things to worry about. He's got other things on his mind. This judge is more worried about what's gonna happen at lunch than he is about what's happening to this woman. He doesn't care about her. He doesn't care about her needs. He doesn't care about God. That language there makes us think that we're dealing with a Gentile judge. This is a judge who could care less about her, her needs. Doesn't care, doesn't give her justice. He's the one that can give her justice and yet he continuously says no. Day after day, the woman comes to her, comes to him and says, please, will you pay attention to me? Please, will you listen? And every day he says, no, I'm not doing it. 
You've got to be some type of a cold-hearted person to keep hearing a, someone crying out for help and saying no. But I wonder what is going on with this judge. What makes a person hear the cries of justice from others and continuously say no or I don't care or it doesn't matter to me? What makes a person continuously say, I'm not interested? I think we see this in this judge. For one, he's indifferent. It just doesn't register for him. It's not his concern. It doesn't affect him. He's not moved, he's not motivated to help because it doesn't affect him. He might be concerned about her. He knows that she needs help. But he could really just, it's not in his will to focus in on it. And so he gives a response perhaps that is prominent in us, in our language today of thoughts and prayers. He's indifferent to her needs, indifferent to the plight of this widow, but yet, too, he's perhaps a little self-focused. More worried about himself than he is the needs of others. And it's easy for us to sit in our comfortable-ish pews, covered in orange cushioning, dating from the 1970s, Carpeting that can hurt our feet like mine when I step on it. Staring at a pastor's stole that may not be completely straight. Or sitting at home drinking our coffee and say, this doesn't apply to me. This ain't me, pastor. This ain't us. Move along. Get back to the widow. That's us. But oh, how often can we be indifferent to the cries of others when they're chanting, pay attention to me? How often can we be indifferent to the cries of justice, to the cries of help from the marginalized and the forgotten? And say, we know better simply because we showed up today for worship. How often are we not moved to be the answer to someone's prayers even as we recognize that there are people in our community and even perhaps our own church who feel unwelcomed, unloved, or unacceptable. How often do we not hear the cry of please help me because it doesn't move us or it doesn't affect us? Pastor, that's not us. 
But yet, how often do we respond to those who cry out for justice to even tell them to be quiet? Oh, you're making too much out of nothing. You're too sensitive. We don't like how you're protesting. We wish you wouldn't do it during the hours of 10 and 12. We wish you would rather do it when we're asleep. We'll get to it in time. Thoughts and prayers. When we don't want to hear or pay attention to the cries of others, we will minimize their cries so that we don't have to help. When we ignore the cries of justice, when we ignore the cries and the voices of those who are marginalized, who are crying out, please help me, please help me, please help me, please help me. We can ignore them all we want. We can minimize them all we want. We can reduce them to saying it's just not our concern or that we're better than that. But when people are crying out to us to say, pay attention to our needs, pay attention to our hurts, pay attention to where we feel unwelcomed, We as the church need to pull up a chair, bring a cup of coffee and listen. Instead of doing what we do so well and get defensive and resentful of the cries of others. We can be that judge more than we like. But you know what happens even when we're playing the judge? Those who are marginalized, those who are forgotten, even in our own community, they keep knocking at the door. They don't go away and say, oh, you're you're right, I, I don't matter. I'm not good enough. I shouldn't be in this church. I shouldn't be here. I know it. I get it. I'm sorry. I'll walk away. Forgive me. They don't do that. They don't say, you're right, I'm wrong. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have bothered you. You know what they say? Pay attention to me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm hurting and I want the church to notice because I know God notices. Pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention. They don't stop asking for help. The widow in the story, she doesn't stop asking for help. She keeps going to the judge. Day after day, even as he says no, even as he says get lost, even as he says I could care less, pay attention to me. Pay attention to me. Eventually, the judge gives in, mainly because he's afraid that if he doesn't, the woman is going to treat him like, uh, and give him a Tyson Furry left hook 
And if you don't know who Tyson Fury is, he's a good boxer. About ready to give him a left hook. The only reason why he says yes is because he's afraid to be shamed. But he says yes. Because the woman kept saying, pay attention to me. Those who are marginalized, those who are forgotten, never quit talking, even when we wish they would go away. Because they're crying for someone to notice them. They're crying for people to hear their calls. And you know, God does. God hears their cries. At the end of the, of the parable, at the end of the story, Jesus wraps it all together and says, you know, this judge was willing to say yes. How much more so will God? God's not going to drag his feet. God's not going to wait for you to just keep crying out. God's not going to say, okay, you've asked 500 times. I'm going to do it now because I just would rather go back and watching night court reruns or anything else. Our God is a loving and just God who's going to be on the side of the marginalized and the forgotten and the hurting every time. God's not going to wait for the right time. God's going to act. But then he says something else that is very striking. Well, I find faith like this in all of the land. I don't think he's necessarily talking about, will I find people who are just going to pray constantly? I think he's talking about, will I find people who are going to be like God and live for God and seek justice for others continuously? Am I going to find people in the church with the faith to stand on the side of the marginalized? Am I going to find people that claim to love God and stand as witnesses and citizens of God's kingdom and stand with the marginalized, the forgotten, the abused, and the neglected and the unwanted in our community. Well, we have that kind of faith that says God's love is so much that welcomes the marginalized that I'm gonna stand with them too. No matter what it costs me, no matter what it costs my family, no matter if it costs me my prestige or my honor or anything else, I'm going to stand on the side of God who stands with the marginalized and the forgotten. And I'm going to embrace them. Because true justice, as Miroslav Volf says, doesn't happen unless we are willing to embrace those on the margins. And not just to say we're going to take care of your needs and then hope that you go back under the bridge where you came from. But to say, come on in, the water is fine. We want you to be part of us. But more or less, we're going to move to you and be part of you. True justice doesn't happen until we embrace those on the margins and call them our friends and our neighbors. There are people in our community today crying out for justice. There are people in our community in Huntington and Barbersville and Cabell County and West Virginia who are crying out for the church to pay attention to them. We know who they are. 
We see them. We read about them. We watch the news and we hear them talked about. They sit in our pews. They sit in our stores. They are with us. And yet will we hear their cries of pay attention to me. It's not enough to just say we love those who sit on the margins and then never do anything for them. It's not enough to say we know that God loves those on the margins. Our words have to match our actions. Otherwise, we fall victim to be the judge. To say, not in my backyard. There are people crying out for food, for clothing, for community, for acceptance, for love. What are you willing to do about it? What are you willing to do about it? There's people who need to know that God loves them and so do we. What are you willing to do about it? There's people who don't feel welcomed in the church. What are you willing to do about it? There's people who come to this church and don't always feel welcome. What are you going to do about it? There's people crying out for hope and looking for the church that claims to be welcoming and loving and inviting to step up. We can't just live with our thoughts and prayers. We can't just live with putting a sign on our door. Our words have to move into action. There's people crying for help and crying for this church to step up. What are you willing to do to the cries of those who are saying, please help me? Will you pray with me? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We know there are people crying out in our community for us to help. And God, sometimes we have forgotten them. Sometimes we can ignore them. And sometimes, God, we wish they would go away. Forgive us of those times in which we as a people or we, we as a church have been indifferent to the cries of others. Forgive us, God. But God, help us to step up, to hear the cries of the needy, to hear the cries of the forgotten. Even with whatever skills or whatever abilities we have, God, you call us to be helpful. You call us to mend the gap. Help us to do so. Help us to do so. Christ, we pray. Amen.